Good morning, world. It is Matt Weaver with Bible Truth Project. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I've been having some fun the last while listening to some uh, Christian-Jewish dialogue-type uh, debates, and it's really been fascinating for me. I just thought I would speak briefly about that and uh, and then some other couple things. Um, first of all, if you haven't taken the time, you need to go to my, my website, BibleTruthProject.com. I recently just revamped it a little bit, relaunched it with a little bit uh, more content, better content. So if you want to, uh, go up there and take a look at it and uh, tell me what you think. It is more responsive and more mobile-friendly, which is going to be uh, beneficial, especially for those of you that travel and are using phones all the time. Anyway, so... These debates have been fascinating to me. Probably one of the best debaters that I know of uh, in this field is Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown has a radio show called Line of Fire and also a website called Ask uh, Dr. Brown, uh, com, I believe. And he is a PhD in uh, Middle Eastern languages. He, I think, understands or speaks 10 Semitic languages, which is, which is very interesting. He was also uh, Jewish, and he was com- uh, converted to Christianity, um, or I should say accepted his Messiah. And so he's a very interesting debater. And some of the, the rabbis he debates is, is interesting. Something I'm seeing, um, and it was a statement that made by Rabbi Shmuley, that he said evangelical Christianity is the Jewish people's best friend in all the world. And to me, that's kind of a, uh, an amazing statement. I, I think uh, we can we can see even in the hostility and debates, if you go back 10, 15 years, 20 years, uh, Jewish Christian debates were a lot more heated. But in today's world, they're a lot more mellow. There seems to be a lot more acceptance of each other's viewpoint and dialogue as was even 20 years ago. So having said that, you know, I think we're seeing um, things shaping up in that world uh, to where people would be uh, maybe open to each other's ideas, which is which is in line with what the Bible says. In other news, well, let me see. What else have I been doing? I've been listening to some more books. I've been going through the last of Joel Richardson's book, Mid-East Beast, which is just kind of a reiteration of some of his other books. Uh, there's some some new content, but for the most part, it's about the same. Joel Joel uh, Joel Richardson has really good material. He really does. He has good balanced material. I know he's worked with Walid Shubat, who I who I respect. I think Walid has an amazing story. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, has gone on to uh, be a tremendous advocate of Christianity and and to to reach his own people. And I think that is that is very commendable of him. I know he's had a lot of people after him. He's he's not liked because of what has happened uh, in his life, but he's he's definitely has content. Wiley was the first guy several years ago that I heard that had a different perspective from all the other eschatology people that I've heard. I mean, I've gone through well. I mean, some of the left behinds of you know John Hagee, Joel Rosenberg. Uh, some of these guys, and he's the first—he's the first guy that had a completely different view. He had a total Middle Eastern view of the whole uh, eschatology question, and it—it it instantly clarified a lot of things in my mind. Things that I recognized and saw when I went to the Middle East and seen that there's difference here. That we as Americans and Westerners are not understanding the bigger picture. We're not understanding what's going on, and. Uh, 
we're, we're doing it blindly and we have to really, it's really plain and clear to see in the Bible that uh, the prophecies in the end time, very little has to do with the United States as a nation. Not saying it's not important, but anyway. So anyway, with the debates, uh, I've been listening to Dr. Michael Brown. Michael, Michael Brown has, like, like I said, a radio show. He also has a lot of uh, videos online, apologetics videos and comments and thoughts. He's, he, uh, interestingly, um, travels the world. He just spoke at a conference in Jerusalem, and um, he, he goes all over the place. But he, he has a really amazing way of, of debating things with uh, rabbis. His insight and knowledge is vast and extensive. I mean, it's bewildering when you really think about what all he knows. But he really does know a lot. He does know his stuff. He does, I believe, a great job. Of, of creating that dialogue. I think what happens when people debate him, especially Jewish like rabbis, they relax because he is Jewish. Um, and they, they it really comes down to, okay, why is, why is Yeshua not the Messiah or why he is, etc. So that is, that is kind of my take on him. Listen to him, uh, if you would. He, he really has great content. And, and as well, uh, Joel Richardson is good at it. One of the thoughts I've been having the last while, and I think I might have spoke with it in Mystery Jerusalem, um, but again, it's just being reminded of it and speaking with somebody the other day, you know, is the mystery of the Melitzedek, uh or Melchizedek. You know, this is really, it is really an amazing picture. When he comes out of Jerusalem and he meets Abraham on the road back from the slaughter of the kings, and it is, uh, he meets him with bread and wine. It's a picture, I believe, of the Messiah. I've done some more research, and this is what I would just update this part. I've done some more research and looking into the question, was the Last Supper a Passover Seder, or was it like a Shabbat meal? What was it? And I've, I've looked at different viewpoints. It's a very split issue. If you go and Google it, if you will, you're going to see a lot of articles for and against. I don't believe it was a Seder, and I'll tell you why. Because the description given is very basic, okay? You start broke bread, they ate a meal, they finished with wine. It does not say that there's progressive cups of wine. Uh, and they did not do more than one thing with the bread. They broke it and ate it. So there's... There's that aspect of it. There's also the fact that Jesus said, I w wanted to uh, eat this Passover with you, but basically, I'm paraphrasing, uh, I won't be able to. Um, and so, I don't know. It's, it's maybe not that big of a deal, if you will, but ultimately, this is the linchpin to me on this whole issue. Why has it been for the last 2,000 years in the history of the church, have we not been doing Passover seders? Now, some were doing seders in remembrance of cars on Passover, but the Last Supper, that meal, was always bread and wine and other food in between. It wasn't Passover seder, as I understand it. I could be wrong, but that's the way I understand it. At least for the, after the first 150-whatever years, it definitely shifted to just bread and wine and a meal. And then it was a couple hundred years later, it got turned into the sacrament where you just have bread and wine. Um, but 
but really, I mean, is there a deeper meaning here? To me, when I look at the, the Jewish uh, way of life, I look at them keeping Shabbat. Friday night becomes like the central point. That's like Sunday dinner for most Christians. Uh, but but Friday night, you get together, you have the best meal, you dress up, you invite some people over to your table, and you celebrate uh, the fruit of the week. You celebrate life. You celebrate each other. And you break bread. And then you, or you bless the bread, and then you break it and share it. Then you bless the wine and share it, and and the meal commences. So, to me, this is also a type and shadow of the same thing that started with Abraham. And this is really what Jesus was revealing to them. Uh, I believe even over Passover. Yes, he fulfilled Passover. We know that. So the Seder is representing who he is. But the meal itself, uh, I think, is a Shabbat meal. And I, re- I, I reason I said is because I believe. The picture given then in heaven, it says at the end that he will he will be with us, uh, or he will not drink again until he drinks it new in his kingdom, which means that there's a wedding feast. So in the wedding feast, we're going to uh, redo this whole, are we going to have a Passover Seder at the wedding feast? I don't think so. We're going to break bread, we're going to drink wine according to what he said. And that's the picture given as well in the parables. So... I guess something to consider. I'm not saying I know or am authoritative on it. I, I don't know for sure that that's the case. Uh, but I think it's important to understand because I think we're missing the blessing in it that we could be experiencing and enjoying if we understood it correctly. Okay, either way, I mean, you can do a Seder if you want. I don't think it's in the Seder. If you want to do a Seder, it's fine. The Bible says don't forbid them. But I don't feel that we're obligated, especially as Gentiles, to keep Seders. Um as you know if you want to do it for remembrance sake wonderful otherwise whatever but here's here's the deal but this friday night thing we can do we can celebrate with other believers we can invite them to our homes we can we can break bread with them in remembrance of what jesus has done and we can celebrate this wonderful uh salvation that we experience in this most times when we do a uh, communion service it's like a funeral and it is a solemn thing, and we, we're, I'm not trying to make light of that. But if I understand, especially the early church and how they celebrated it, there was a, obviously a solemnness to it in, in remembrance of, of Jesus, but there was also a celebration aspect to it. That's the part that's missing. I, it's become personal, and back then it was communicative. You know, you had people around a table, you broke bread, you ate a meal, we drank the wine in remembrance of what he has done. Where today we, you know, we have the service, we get a little bit of bread, a little cup of wine, go back to our seats, sit there, and then take communion as a personal thing. There it was more commutative. Uh, now, you could not take part of that. Um, obviously, there were some conditions. So I think, I think it's important. I really think that part is important. We, we want to be careful with protecting that. But I think there's a greater blessing when we can sit around in a meal. And the other... other interesting part of meals is even today in Middle Eastern culture, when you have two Arab, especially in the Arabs, if you have two Arab families that have a dispute, the way they settle that is with a ritual meal. I can't uh, think of what it's pronounced right now, but they sit down meal. First thing they do is eat. And then they go through this whole ritual during this meal. And at the end of the meal, they consider themselves, uh, they consider their positions laid down and they, they, uh, rest their case, if you will, against each other. Uh, but it's interesting that food has this type, type of analogy in, in 
um, in the Middle East even to this day. So what does that tell us about this, if, if you will, Shabbat meal, or about this one? It says whenever you want to do it, do it. But this meal, this Last Supper, if you will, I think it's a thing of reconciliation. I think it's a thing that we uh, get together as, as believers and we break bread, share wine, share a meal, uh, not to get drunk, not to any of that. That would be obviously uh, very much against the intention. But I think it'd be much greater of a blessing to experience it that way uh, than we do in our little cup of grape juice, in some cases wine, or a little little cracker. It's just, it's not bad. We do it in remembrance, but it's like, I think there'd be a greater blessing. That's all I have for today. Uh, again, check out my new website. If you have any comments, go ahead and uh, uh, drop, drop those to me. Send them my way. And uh, as always, keep studying.